Well, good morning. Glad you're with us this morning at our campus. We hope that you feel like you're part of our family around here. Uh, yeah, thank the Lord for the rain. We needed that, huh? And thankful for some, some wonderful worship from our team. Guys, thank you for leading us so beautifully. We've been in the series in the book of Mark. And one of the things that we keep seeing in this book is that Jesus keeps having these run-ins with the Pharisees. I mean, these, these are conflicts with the Pharisees that, honestly, it's, it's, when you get into it, it just looks like they're uh, reading from two different playbooks, <laughs> right? Because we've got Jesus, who is a rabbi, we've got the Pharisees, who are rabbis and, and scribes and uh, religious leaders, and yet it seems like they're taking their cues from different, <laughs> different uh, playbooks, if you will. One of the first things that we saw happen a couple of weeks ago is uh, the friends bring the paralytic to Jesus in Peter's home, and they let him down through the roof. And Jesus kind of surprises everybody when he says, what? Your sins are forgiven, right? That wasn't what they expected him to do. Um, and the Pharisees kind of freak out in that moment. The Pharisees in that moment are like, what did you just say? Do you, who do you think you are that you can forgive someone's sin? Because only God can forgive sin." right? And Jesus says, well, so that you can believe that I can forgive sin, stand up, take up your mat, and go home. And he heals the man, the paralytic, and the man walks out, in essence saying, you're right, I am God, right? So the Pharisees, their minds are just being blown right now. They don't even know what to uh, think of this whole situation. They don't know what, what to make of Jesus. A little bit later, we see Jesus uh, out for a stroll, maybe spending time with the Father near the sea, so beautiful around Galilee. But somewhere around this time, he comes across the tax collector's booth, and in that is Levi, we know him as Matthew, and he is the scum of the earth to the people in uh, Capernaum, and Israel for, the matter, for that matter. I mean, he's a traitor to their race and their religion. Uh, he's not a good person. He's not a good person, and yet Jesus somehow says to the tax collector, Levi, follow me. Again, the Pharisees' minds are going, what? First you, you say you're God, and now you're calling these people? What are you doing? And to, to sort of add insult to injury, then Jesus goes to Levi's home, and there's a huge feast and a huge party, and, and the Pharisees standing outside with their robes, you know, you can just stand them, see them standing there and making their judgment. And Jesus is having a feast with, it says, many tax collectors and many sinners and his disciples, the ones that he had so far called. And, and they, they, they send a question, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus makes it real clear. I, I didn't come for the well, I've come for the sick. They're the ones that need healing. I didn't come for the righteous, I've come for sinners. Now see, the sad reality is the Pharisees didn't see themselves in that category of sinners. And it could be that some of us today may not see ourselves in a category of sinners. But can I tell you the truth this morning? You are. You are a sinner Every one of us has fallen short of God's mark, right? The wages of our sin, all of our sin, 
is death, the Bible says. But the gift of God is his grace, salvation in Jesus alone. So they, they didn't see that. They saw themselves as the religious ones, the ones who were keeping what they thought were their rules. And they were holding everybody else to this certain standard that they themselves weren't even willing to keep. And so when Jesus says, no, I've, call, I've come to call sinners, what he's saying is, I'm, I've come to call all of you, <laughs> the ones who think you're sinners and the ones who don't, you're all sinners. And the reality is, to know Jesus, you have to understand that. You have to come to a truth uh, realization, an awareness of, I am broken, I have missed the mark, I have to humble myself before a holy God because if I don't, I'm going to spend all of eternity in hell because that's what I deserve. And we humble ourselves before a holy God and we accept this gift of salvation and forgiveness from Jesus. And of course, Jesus is saying, if you, if you can't hear that, Pharisee, if you, can't, if you can't understand that, if you can't humble yourself, then you'll never get it. And sadly, many of them did not get it. Some of them did, but many did not. Clearly, Jesus is kind of following some rules from a different playbook, if you will, it seems like. Today, we're going to see another run-in with the Pharisees, another conflict. And this text that we're going to look at today is not as easy uh, to understand and to dig out, but we're going to do our best and talk through this. But I believe it has a beautiful message if we can wrap our brains around it. We're going to ask the, the Lord to help us with that in just a moment. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 18 and go through 22. And it says this. Now John's disciples, speaking of John the Baptist. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Pray with me this morning, would you, Father? God, thank you for the privilege to be with the family of families, the church. God, thank you so much for the privilege that we have in this country to worship freely, for the privilege that we have health in our bodies and an ability to be here together, to lift up your name, to submit ourselves, our lives to one another and to the truth of your word and say, God, make me who you would make me, Lord. Whatever you want me to be, I surrender to you. I'm yours. God, forgive us when we don't do that. Forgive us when we make life about us and we try to add you, Jesus, to the mess of our lives. Forgive us, God. May we make you Lord of all and surrender all that we are to you. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would lead us to all truth today. All that you want us to see and understand from this text, I pray that you'd open our minds and hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit today. 
that you would increase in this time, that I would decrease, Lord. That you would move among us, that you would draw us by that same spirit, and that you would give us courage to be obedient, to be who you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. This story of Jesus calling Matthew, Levi, is a story that you see, I mentioned this last week, it's a story we see in all three synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? That basically what that means is the synopsis of the similar story told by three different authors. It's told in every single one. And what's interesting is our text today is accompanied in that story in each of those first three gospels. What that means is it probably went together. This moment, this question probably went together with the feast at Levi's house, okay? So it's important for us to remember that and think about that. So here's Jesus has been get, to get our minds kind of back in that setting. He's at the party. He's, the Bible says he's reclined with his friends. He's enjoying himself. And here come the Pharisees asking questions. Why would you be with these people, right? Now, it's important also as we look at this text today, we remember the Pharisees, they had their own set of rules. They had their own set of, 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 of traditions, if you would. These are extra-biblical traditions. These are not things from God's Word. These are things that they've come up with and said, I think it would be good if dot, dot, dot. They've made their own religion. It is a false religion. Make, make no mistake here. This is not men who are just upholding the law of God. No, they've made their own law of men. And this is why Jesus gets so angry and frustrated with these people. He calls them whitewashed tombs. You're dead on the inside and you're following man-made religion, not God's religion, not the word of God. So they had their own set of rules and traditions. And the reason they had these is to make themselves look better, more religious, more holy, and even worse. They did these things and put these traditions on people so that they would try and earn righteousness. They did these things so that they could try and get better favor with God. Now we know According to God's word in the New Testament, that is filthy rags, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, right? All of our righteousness, all that we try to walk in, it's as filthy rags before a holy God. Our only hope is not in what we think is righteousness or goodness. It is in the grace and mercy of the only one who is good, and that is Jesus, right? That's our only hope. And yet here are the Pharisees offering this tradition, so that, that is what they have, and this is often what Jesus goes against, and there's uh, sparks flying against those traditions in many ways, and again today. These Pharisees weren't as concerned about the Mosaic law. They're concerned about making sure you follow their law, their rule. The shade that they were throwing to people, the guilt that they were putting on people was not about the Mosaic law. It wasn't about conviction of sin. It was about disobedience to their rule, you see. One of the traditions that the Pharisees had, if you were a righteous person, right? If you're a righteous person, you're going to fast twice a week. That's what righteous people do. Are you not fasting twice a week, right? That's not in the Mosaic law. That wasn't something Jews had to follow. The, the only fast that was in the Mosaic law that was, uh, that was sub to be followed was on the Day of Atonement, one day a year, where people were supposed to look at their sin their brokenness, their sinfulness, and take seriously that brokenness and sinfulness. 
and fast, to be somber, to be solemn, to be serious, to be repentant before a holy God about your sinfulness one day a year. And yet the Pharisees had come along and said, no, we're going to do two days a week if you're righteous. And if you don't follow their rules, that's when you get in trouble with the Pharisees. So there's also this aspect of the fact that here are the Pharisees fasting, hungry, in a bad mood, trying to look somber and solemn, and they look over and here's Jesus and his disciples partying, laughing. Can you imagine the laughter and the joy coming out of that party? And it just rubs them the wrong way. See, they wanted Jesus and his disciples to submit to their rules, to their traditions. They wanted Jesus and his disciples to also look like they should look, to be somber, to be solemn. But Jesus is having a party. (laughs) Jesus is laughing. Jesus is resting. Jesus is enjoying the life that he's come to bring with his friends and those who need him. And when he does this, it flies in the face of the joyless religion of the Pharisees. Think about it. They're going, what is this? We don't... What is this laughter? What is this joy? They had turned God's uh, people and the expectations of God's people into this dry and, and broken and somber, depressed, hungry people for no reason. Verse 18, let's begin to break this text down. Verse 18. It says, now John's disciples, like I said, this is John the Baptist he's referring to, Mark is. And the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So the text this morning opens up with a comparison. All the people we see as religious and see them as the religious leaders, they're fasting, but you guys aren't, right? Almost always a bad thing when, when we, we start with comparison. But they're, they're beginning this comparison piece. They're fasting and you're not. The Pharisees are seen as righteous. Jesus is doing some amazing things and teaching with authority. But it, it just didn't make sense. How, what is this party? What is this joy? Now, I think it's important for us to take a look just at the text and look that John the Baptist had some disciples that had fallen into the suggestions, the religious way of the Pharisees. And if you think about it, you kind of go, you kind of scratch your head and go, What? I mean, wasn't it John the Baptist that, that saw Jesus and knew Jesus from even when they were both in the womb, right, and moved with joy? Wasn't it John the Baptist that, that looks at Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Wasn't it, wasn't it John the Baptist that baptizes Jesus and he comes out of the water and John the Baptist looks into heaven and God has ripped open the sky? And God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit lights on Jesus. This is the most beautiful of commissioning moments. Incredible. So you go, how how can John the Baptist's disciples be following the Pharisees' ways and fasting instead of Jesus? Well, there's a couple of different suggestions for this. Number one, John is in prison, 
and uh, he's been in prison for a little while, and he doesn't have the ability to straighten out his people when they need to be straightened out, right? There's another thing. John preached repentance. John preached a staunch repentance. And so his followers were baptized in that repentance. And it would have been maybe a natural thing for them to go, now that we're, we've, we've repented and we've been baptized, who do we follow that are going to be so staunch in religion? Who would that have been? Pharisees. It would have made sense in some ways to them, in their minds, to follow who seemed to be the most religious, and that would have been the Pharisees. But the problem is, John's disciples even had fallen into legalism. Last thing about John's disciples. It's a very interesting passage in Acts chapter 19. Very interesting. Where uh, Paul runs into some of John's disciples 30 years after Jesus' ministry here. And 30 years after, they still had not heard of Jesus and his salvation. They're still John's disciples. They're still uh, believing and following in that repentance, but they didn't know that Jesus was Messiah. Jesus was the one John was pointing to and preaching about. So it's possible, and my point is this, some of John's disciples weren't there the day Jesus was baptized. Maybe they weren't there the day he pointed and said, Jesus, Lamb of God. Maybe they weren't around because he would have had thousands that he had baptized over uh, the years that he was there. So there's different reasons why some of John's uh, disciples had fallen into this legalism. But now here is Jesus, and hopefully they will begin to follow him. Let's continue to look at the points we have today. So Jesus begins to respond to some of this comparison. And he wants to bring attention to these questions. And the first thing I want to mention this morning is that Jesus is going to bring some clarity from fasting versus celebration. Jesus says this in verse 19. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Right? Here Jesus is referring to himself as the bridegroom. Right? This, is, this is a picture of Jesus as Messiah. So as he even mentions that, what I love about Jesus, he just continues to drop these massive hints. Right? Come on, come on, guys. Uh, the bridegroom's here? Does that do anything for you? No? Okay. Well, great. They just miss it. They keep missing it over and over and over and over again. But it's a picture of Jesus as Messiah. So he, he's referring to this wedding piece. Is there a wedding going on that we don't see? Well, it's important for us to understand what a Jewish uh, wedding in this ancient time period would have looked like. A traditional Jewish wedding in the ancient world would have lasted for a whole week, seven days. And what's so cool about a Jew, this Jewish uh, traditional wedding not only does it last seven days for the bride and groom and for the wedding party, um, but even the bride and groom might even wear crowns. I think that's kind of interesting. They're reminiscent of, of royalty. And what's cool is, during those seven days, they just partied for seven days. They just enjoyed one another. They laughed, had a blast for seven days continually. They were even, as Jews, they were even uh, let off of some of their responsibilities as Jews, so that they could focus on the feast. Isn't that interesting? So here's Jesus saying, listen, the bridegroom is here. 
You, you don't fast at a wedding. I just kept thinking about my, con, my continual struggle with weight, and I'm dieting almost every other day. That's my problem. Uh, it's, the, it's the days in between that I'm not that get me, see. But um, I'm dieting all the time, but especially like, okay, if we're going to go on vacation, I'm not going to go diet. We're going to a wedding, we're going to make some good cake at the wedding, right? It's that kind of a concept. It's like, it's time to party. It's not time to fast. Because when you fast, the expectation is to mourn. To mourn over your sin. To mourn over your brokenness. To mourn over uh, what you you're consider yourself in, in view of a holy God. That's what we do when we fast. And Jesus is saying, this isn't a time for a fast. This is a time for joy. This is a time for laughter. This is a time for party because Messiah has come and you've missed it. You've missed it. I like the way John MacArthur puts it in, in this commentary. He says, they were mourning when they should have been rejoicing because they had rejected Jesus the Savior and clung to their own rules and regulations to earn salvation. They had nothing in common with him. They were consumed with self-righteousness. He preached divine grace. They denied that they were sinners. He preached repentance from sin. They were proud of their religiosity. He preached humility. They, were in, uh, in, they embraced external ceremony and tradition. He preached a transformed heart. They loved the applause of men. He offered the approval of God. They had dead ritual. He offered a dynamic relationship. They promoted a system. He promoted, he provided salvation. You see the difference? It's two different teams, if you will. Two different streams. One about providing for yourself in your own self-righteousness, which can't be done. And one about the righteousness that Jesus provides through the gospel. Jesus is saying, this is appropriate that we're at a party because it's time to feast. Messiah has come. You know, I was just thinking about this, as believers, we're not only invited to the wedding, friends, we are the bride. We, the Bible says one day, will reign with Christ, as royalty, with him. I love the little image of the, of the crowns on their heads, all this foreshadowing of what Christ is making his bride. And yet, sometimes we walk into God's uh, gathering with his people. We, we walk into meetings and everything, and we're just, we're just struggling, aren't we? Whew. Listen, not to say that Christians don't face difficult things. We do. Not to say that Christians don't face difficult days of brokenness and heartache. And we see that in the Psalms, and, and David plays that out with conviction. But the underlying reality of a believer's life ought to be joy. It ought to be joy. In fact, one of the things Mark is doing as he writes this about the bridegroom is to remind the persecuted believers of Rome and how persecuted they were, running to catacombs, living in graves. He's reminding them, listen, it's hard right now. It's a difficult setting right now, but one day Jesus will return. He's coming back for his bride. That's you and me. We should be a people 
full of joy. We have a reason to sing. Even in the rain, even in the brokenness, even in the financial struggle, even in the sickness, even in the cancer, even in the brokenness of sin, we have reason to have joy because we are the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. Here's the second thought this morning. Jesus says they will fast. An important moment right here. This is the first moment that we see Jesus give a prophecy of his own death and crucifixion. Verse 20, Jesus says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. The Greek word here for taken away is like a sudden, violent taking away. Jesus is referring to what's coming in his own death. Jesus is alluding to his death. And he says, when they take me away, they will be sad, I promise you. They will be somber. They will be hungry because they, like e- they won't feel like eating. They won't eat. They'll fast. There will come a day in violence that I'll be taken from them. Jesus, and, you know, in all these kind of analogies, whether it be the wedding and the bridegroom or these others that we're about to look at, sometimes you have to hear the parable of Jesus or the example that Jesus is giving, the metaphor, and we have to go a little deeper, don't we? To really understand, that's what today is about. I, I think the Pharisees stood there going, there's a wedding? Right? It's like, Shoo. But I don't think they got it. Yet he's making a statement. A very important one. In the same way, as he alludes to his death and his crucifixion, they probably didn't get it, right? But it means something. There is meaning in what Jesus is saying, and it's a very important meaning. Jesus is referring not only to his death, but the fact that his death will be the new covenant in his blood. Talk about a huge theme, right? I mean, huge so big, they can't, they can't get it. What is the old covenant? It's the law of God. It's the Mosaic law. It's the rules the, of the Old Testament, the Mosaic first covenant that God made with his people. And here Jesus is alluding to the fact that when he dies on a cross and his blood is shed on that cross, he makes a new covenant. One that is not based on rules that you follow, but a Savior that followed them and died for you. His blood covering us is the new covenant of God. So his comment here begins to help us understand what he's about to say in these next analogies. As he he alludes to his death and the new covenant, then think of that way as we talk about this last idea, which is the old versus the new. Look at verse 21. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh skins. Now, some of us kind of read through that and we go, okay. You know? I'm not sure how many people even still sew anymore. A few people, maybe. But you're probably not working on your own wine in a wineskin. These are not things that, that, that we're uh, up on, so to speak. These are analogies that would have made sense in that day because they were done every day. 
And so we have to understand the context of what Jesus is saying in these analogies that he's making his point. The first is about making a repair to an old garment. It has a hole in it, and so you get a patch. But if you use a patch that's brand new and you put that patch over the hole, as soon as you wash it and it dries, that patch is going to shrink and it's going to cause a bigger hole than the first one. Okay, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about there. And then he begins to talk about wine and wineskins. What does this mean? Well, just to give some clarity quickly in context. In the ancient world, people would, they would uh, make wine, obviously from grapes, and then they would pour that juice <laughs> into the skin of a goat. They would literally take a goat and skin it <laughs> like you're pulling off a sock, if you will. And they would cut off the feet and the head, and they would sew up the feet, and they would sew up the neck, and that would literally be how they would transport wine. Yummy, huh? Of course, they would tan the, the skin and clean it and do some things like that. But here's the reason. When the juice, of course, juice begins to ferment, and begins to make alcohol, as it does, it expands. And if it's a new skin, then that skin will expand with those gases in that fermentation process. And so they can continue to carry around the wine as it's fermenting. It's just continuing to, to, to develop in flavor profile and other things. This is what's happening with the wine. But the skin just gives. It just expands. But if you take new wine and you put it in an old skin that's been used before and doesn't have give anymore, it has no elasticity anymore, then when the, the, the gases begin to ferment, it'll just burst that skin. And Jesus says you'll waste the wine and you'll waste the skin. That's what he's trying to explain. He gives this in this very last statement in the text. He says, new wine is for fresh wineskins. Again, I think the, the, the Pharisees and probably his disciples, most of them are going, okay, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true, that's true. What is he talking about? Like, there, there's moments, you know, and, and I love that the Bible comes along in different stories where Jesus is given a parable and a little bit later, the, it, you know, it, it tells, the writer comes back and, and, and kind of explains, we came back up to him and said, what did that mean? I love that. Surely this was another one of those instances. Friends, here's what Jesus is trying to say about the garment, about the wine, the wineskin. He hasn't come to make repairs in an old system. Jesus hasn't come to better the old covenant. He hasn't come to patch some deficiencies in that old covenant. No, he's come, he's come to fulfill it, make it better. He, he's come to do something incredible. He's bringing the new wine of the gospel. It will not fit their old system of tradition. It will not fit this new covenant with his blood is a new way. Daniel Aiken says, Jesus did not come to reform us, but to regenerate us. Not to improve us, but to make us new. The gospel of Jesus didn't add to Judaism or reform it. The gospel fulfilled Judaism. Jesus fulfilled Judaism and superseded it. The new covenant replaced the old. The, wine, the new wine of Christianity cannot be contained by the old wineskins of Judaism. 
With the coming of Jesus, it is a new day. With the coming of Jesus, everything changes. Jesus is giving just these little parables, these little analogies about the bridegroom. He is Messiah. Something new has come and you haven't recognized it. I've not come to patch your old system. I've not come to pour something new into what is old. No, we need fresh skins for new wine of the gospel. Now, it's important that we don't make the assumption that that, uh, Jesus is saying we do away with the law. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7 that the law is good. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them, right? But remember, the Pharisees had added their own laws, their own rules, their own traditions. And those rules and and traditions were about you providing for your own salvation in works. That's what it was about. Why are you not fasting twice a week? Why are you not doing all these things? Why are you not keeping all these things that we've laid upon you? The gospel will not work in a structure of works-based righteousness. You have to kind of pick one or the other. I like the way the message puts this verse in Galatians chapter 5. Verse 4 says, When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. See, the gospel of Jesus cannot be connected to this system of tradition or works-based righteousness. No, no, salvation. We have to be clear, friends. From your life, from mine, from this pulpit, from our church, salvation is in Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Amen? That's that's the only way we get it. Not by working for it. We don't work for it. Our works are worth nothing. And you can't have it both ways. Paul would say, you could try to follow the law, then be ready to be judged by the law. And guess what? You will fail. Or you can rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross in his grace and in his salvation. Let me just say there is a great study, if you want to take this further as we finish up. If you want to study further the old covenant and the replacement of the new covenant, there's a wonderful study in Hebrews chapters 8 through 10, 8, 9, and 10. All three of those chapters are amazing. But I pulled out just a couple of things that I think are important for us to consider. Hebrews 8 verse 6 says this. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enhanced on better, enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 10.9 says this, He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. See, the old covenant system was continued offering for sin. Continued sacrifice for sin. But this verse tells us Jesus made a sacrifice of his own body, an offering of his own self once for all. And yet Jesus keeps running into these Pharisees. He keeps challenging their false religion. See, that's what we have to get clear in our minds, is Jesus is not going against the Old Testament in that regard. He's going against people that have made their own false religion. 
the reality is the Pharisees were the old wineskins. <laughs> Everything about the Pharisees, the scribes, were the old wineskins. Jesus offered life and grace to all who would believe. I love the way Paul talks about the old and the new in 2 Corinthians 5.17 as I wrap up. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and pay attention to the specifics of this, therefore, <laughs> this is a major statement Paul is making, if anyone is in Christ, do you want to know if you're in Christ this morning? I'd like to know. I, I, I believe I am. But here's a way you can know. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you know Jesus as your Savior this morning, we, we won't be able to just to add Jesus to an old life of compromise. We do that all the time, don't we? You might tell your friend, yeah, I, I'm starting to go to church now. I'm a Christian now. And they're going, you're at the club with me. That doesn't make sense. Well, I'm going to church tomorrow. Right? We, we do these things that have inconsistency that make no sense. We try to live out of an old life. And Jesus is saying, no, I've come to do away with the old and make you new. And yet we keep trying to go back over to the old. The old has passed away. The new has come. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Has the new come in your life? Are you still holding on to the old? Doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean that we don't have tendencies or struggles. But as a belief system, as, as a whole of who we are, Christ is making us new. We're not the same people. He didn't come to better us. He didn't come to patch he didn't come to, to do something to, to just make it a little easier. No, he came to make us new. That means start over. If he's the Lord of your life, then everything has changed. If he's the Lord of your life, has everything changed? He won't take second place. Jesus will not take second place. And all you'll get, if he's not number one, is a tired, dead religion. You'll just keep trying to do some religious things, but he won't be Lord. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Friends, I, I want to mention one last thing before we go. I think there's one other element that is important to be spoken from our church, from this pulpit, and from your lives, and that is that this text also speaks to the exclusivity of the gospel. Because in this day and age, right, there's a million ways. Everybody's just, everybody gets to God their own way, don't they? Different religions, different thoughts, new ideas. And Jesus is so clear. See, these, these Pharisees had their own false religion of works, and Jesus says, no. It will not work. It will not work. New wine needs a new wine skin. Jesus also said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. In fact, that's exactly what 
Peter and John said in Acts 4.12, they said there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Your works, your religious efforts will not get you there. Only the grace and mercy of Jesus. Friends, as we finish this morning, can I just remind you, be careful with your traditions that they don't outpower the word of God in your faith. Even as I say that, I kind of go, can that happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it can. We can get so staunch, right, so, so assured, so we believe something so much. Make sure that it's the word of God that you stand on in your faith and your belief and not just some tradition. Make sure that there's joy in your life as the bride of Christ. Let, let joy be what marks your life. Let people see you even in a difficult moments as someone full of joy. Because you're his. Because you have hope. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. He's come to make you new. And be warned. And live in this way that we know Jesus is the only way. Right? He's the only way. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for these stories, these analogies that in such a short amount of letters and, and words and sentences, you can give so much meaning. You can teach us so much through context, through the whole of Scripture, the whole counsel of your word. But God, I pray that we would hear today, Lord, that you love us and our only hope for this life and the next is faith in you alone. God, I pray that every one of us would right now just understand with an awareness in our soul and our minds that we are sinners, that we desperately need you, God. We have no hope apart from Jesus alone. And that when you came and you said you've come so that sinners would repent, Lord, may that be who we are, a repenting, church full of sinners who've been made whole by your grace and salvation sinners to saints worshiping you with joy worshiping you Lord with the, the clarity of the gospel that Jesus is the only way that you are our Lord and we will serve you unswervingly because our hope is in you and you alone Father God, may we know your word. May we learn it more. May we take time to invest in how we understand it. May we understand that you've called us to be missionaries to this world. And God, may you put a, a desire in our hearts to know what that means and how to be uh, fruitful as missionaries. And God, even as we offer opportunities like Equip in just a few minutes, and we talk about the power of prayer, God, I pray that your people would see a need to understand that more and that they would be drawn to learn about that God together and equip and that you would use us for your glory 
in this city. God, we love you. We love you. May you give us joy today, no matter what we're facing. Because of Jesus, our only hope is in him. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.